0: Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and help you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm
1: Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark State. And as always, our show is sponsored by our wonderful Bestseller Academics and patrons. Uh, If you want to support this podcast, if you want to keep us on the road, keep all this good stuff coming, come and support us. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. You're going to find... Loads, dozens and dozens of extra episodes that you can only get if you're a patron supporter or if you're in the academy. Most recently, we've done a great episode on AI and ChatGPT. We've had people from Bookature coming along. We've got some really cool stuff coming up as well. Also, if you want me and Mr. D as your tutors, pop over to the Academy, academy academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Amazing stuff there. Courses, a great community, and we've got some absolute superstars in the Academy at the moment. So do check that out. Mr. D, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm still recovering from our incredibly
0: hilarious and brilliant (laughs) unwelcome spoiler special last week. That was (laughs) so good fun. It was so much fun. If you missed it, folks, Maybe in the show notes, Mark. Today you can put I'll in the link. At, yeah, yeah. It's on absolutely. YouTube. We got a behind the scenes. We got a behind the scenes look into how the movie was made, and we had visual effects specialists. We had cinematographer with us. We had actor, uh, actors, obviously a screenwriter as well. It was yeah. absolutely <laughs> brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant, and I was fascinated, and and I learned so much about an appreciation of what goes into making these movies, and. It's just mind-blowing. So if, you, if you've missed it, do go pop along. And if, if you've got any interest in in how things happen, and also how a screenwriter can write one simple line that can create a complete nightmare <laughs> for months. The production Speciality. Crew. I know. The power of the pen, guys. It's absolutely brilliant. I had no idea. So, yeah, do check that out. But we, we had so much fun. And we had a brilliant... We had a brilliant coaching session last week. We invited some members um, of the BXP team and patrons to join us in the academy for a, for a one-off special. That was brilliant, um, mm. and so it was lovely to meet loads of people that we've we've talked to, and we've you know we've heard, had messages from on the podcast, but we've never actually met in person. We got to meet a load of people on Zoom last week. So thank you so much if you came, and we'll be doing one again uh, soonish. So if you want to jump on board and, and get to meet me and Mark, and we can get to meet you and find out about who you are and what you're up to. We'd love to find out that as well.
1: How are you doing, Mark? You've had a busy old week as well. I mean, very busy. Well, um, I've got lots of dates for the diary. Uh, so I want, uh, and I'll put a link in the, in uh, the show notes. You can check this out. So this is going out on what I think the eighth of May. So uh, on the tenth of May there is a screening of Unwelcome in Margate in Kent, where I'm going to go along, and there'll be a Q and A afterwards. Uh, that's at a place called Olby's Creative Hub in Margate, which will be lots and lots of fun. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to be at the MDC comic-con in birchington in kent on the 21st of may that is a fantastic event great fun for all the family and then i'm going to be at the mcm comic-con in london on the 27th of may and that's going to be uh a bit like what we had the other night a spoiler special kind of thing uh with uh you know bits uh, members of the cast and crew there talking about how the film was made so may is absolutely bonkers and chock-a-block but i'd love to see people listeners out there come and say hello it's going to be really really good fun
0: Brilliant stuff. Now, we have an absolute humdinger of an interview today. So I'm I'm too excited to chat
1: anymore. I want to dive straight into this. So Mark, tell us about our guest today, Jesse Keane. Jesse Keane. Well, this year, 2023, sees the publication of Jesse's 17th Novel Never Go Back, which also 2023 coincides with the 15th anniversary of her debut novel, Dirty Game, hitting the bestseller list. And this is the book that introduced the, the notorious Carter family to the world. Now, Jessie, she's wonderful, she has Romani heritage, and her gran, who had the sight, had foreseen a writing future after reading her palm at the tender age of three. And she told her she'd not only write but she'd be famous for it. Well, she sold six and a half million copies, each of her books setting the Sunday Times top 10 bestsellers. I reckon Graham was hit, hit the nail on the head there. So we discuss living with what she calls a completion complex, being fearless with your writing and your career, and why Jesse waits overnight for the next download. Oh, this is good stuff, folks. If you need a little bit of motivation, listen <laughs> to
0: this interview. So let's have a listen in with Mark chatting with the hugely
1: inspiring Jesse Keene. Jesse Keane, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today?
2: I'm fine, thank you.
1: How are you? Uh, absolutely delighted to see you. And it's a very special occasion because this year, well, we're recording this in February, uh, this marks. Fifteen years since your debut novel, Dirty Game, and what's extraordinary—you know, you, you're a Sunday Times uh, top ten bestseller. You've sold something like six and a half million copies. It's just extraordinary. Um, and then you've got a brand new book, uh, Never Go Back. Uh, so, yeah. what I'd like to do—we'll talk about Never Go Back, and then we'll talk about your extraordinary career and and some of the some of the stories about your. Um, how you got where you are today are just amazing. But let's start with Never Go Back. Tell us about Never Go Back.
2: It's um a continuation of Annie Carter's story. um Annie Carter's been with me ever since the beginning, really. So it's a, a double celebration this year 15 years in the business and the seventh book of the Annie Carter series. So it's, it's just one of those books that's sort of taken me over for a complete year and it, it's gone from her childhood, her her husband's childhood, right the way through their lives and all the terrible things that have happened to them. It's it's a bit of an adventure. Yeah, I really had a blast writing it.
1: Fantastic. And as I understand it, Annie Carter is, would it be fair to say she's an extreme version of yourself is there something about annie that's, that's a bit special a bit different to the other characters you write
2: i think yeah she she is very much me i always say she is me with knobs on really she's <laughs> she the power of 10 <laughs> i think like her she thinks like me and yeah that that's it she is me really
1: fantastic tell us about never go back what sort of trouble has she got herself into this time
2: Oh, there's all sorts of problems going on. Somebody's chasing her at the beach and, oh, my God, it's it's, 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 quite, it's it's very exciting. I sit here in my dull little room typing away and all these wonderful things are happening. And, oh, that's great. But, yeah, it, it, it's quite a, a – there's a, a real sort of thriller or a ride. And I hope everybody loves it as much as I love writing it
1: fantastic stuff well let's go back to where it all started because as i said this is an extraordinary um story uh, first of all i think you're our first uh author with romani heritage on the yeah. show as well so uh, that's a, a real privilege to talk to you about that because as i understand it you was it your grandmother insisted that you be born in a traditional gypsy bow top caravan so you're true romani tell tell us about that and and your grand who made a prediction didn't she
2: she did. Um, well, she she lived in my parents' back garden in her top wagon, came indoors to use the facilities, and then went back out there every day. And she insisted that I be born in there, in that, in that wagon, which I was. And she said when I was three years old, she said she's got a double fork on her hand, a double fork, and it's just down there. And I've got one on that hand and one on that hand.
1: Right. Have
2: you got, you got
1: one? I'm just looking. I'm just, I, I, to be honest, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'll I'll, I'll check later.
2: <laughs> she said she's going to be a writer and she's going to be a really well known writer too. And of course, everybody laughed because honestly, I mean, my mother's never read a book, never never bothered with a book in her life. Um, so, yeah, she said, yes, she's going to be a writer. She's going to be well known, she's going to be famous. And I thought, well, you know, it, it came true, didn't it? I mean, it, it happened.
1: Well, let's let's talk about that because you know sometimes you get you get people you know families they might say oh you're going to be a doctor you're going to be a lawyer you're going to be a writer or whatever. As a child growing up, did you rebel against that or did you relish it? And were you writing stories? Did it sort of help point you in the right direction?
2: I don't think I even paid any attention to it whatsoever. Actually, I I, I did write all the time. Um- just scribbling little cartoons and making up puppet shows and at primary school. And I won some awards for story writing. I was about eight years old and, and kept writing all through my teens. I was doing Star Trek episodes, you know, really exciting stuff. Oh, I love that, Star Trek. And um, writing Westerns. And then I started on romances and just kept, just kept going all the time, really. But, right. um yeah, I, I used to excel at English and nothing else really. Art and English, great. I was fabulous at that. Anything else, forget it really.
1: <laughs> and were they were the teachers encouraging as well when, when you were at school? Were they did they recognise your 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 joy? Uh, yeah, for writing? in the
2: secondary school, yeah, they they did start to see there was some sort of talent there. They didn't they weren't quite sure what to do with it, but it, it, there was a definite talent for writing there um strange really it's just one of those weird gifts isn't it i i don't know how it came or where it came but i'm really grateful it did
1: well i think it came because you were writing 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 i mean we learn by doing when we write don't we so yeah you know. I suppose so, yeah. yeah but but then it didn't quite all go to plan did it because as i understand it you wrote was it 10 romantic fiction novels oh, what happened <laughs> what, ha- what what happened to them
2: Oh, I think they're they're in a drawer somewhere, moldering away. <laughs> they're <laughs> not doing very well. But um, I kept sending them out to people, and, and I had some near misses with those. And that was, I think, that's even worse. Actually, I nearly, nearly got there and didn't quite with those. And then I, I, I'm testing this poor chap, this agent, and I said to him, you know, can you have a look at this script and and. It was about the tenth, 13th script he's looked at for me, and he said, "Look, don't bother me anymore. Just go away and try a straight crime novel. You 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 you're mucking about. It. You're you're doing romances. You're doing comedy crime. Try vote try a straight crime novel and and see how that goes." And he did me the, the world's best favor, really, because the minute I started to write that sort of thing, I just found my voice instantly, and and. It
1: became much easier. That's so, fascinating. Ah,
2: he did me a favour, didn't
1: he? Really, I think he did. I mean, this is this is the thing we say: don't write to market, but we do. We do think it's a good idea to have a very good, clear idea of your genre. And if you're writing something that's not quite romance or not quite comedy, then it sort of mm. falls between two stools. But yeah, you went yeah. you went straight for crime. But that said, your books. There are funny bits in them. There's romantic bits in them. So I guess that finding your voice is blending all those things together. Would that fair to say that?
2: Yeah. Seems to be, doesn't it? Yeah. But I was—I'm just so grateful to him because he really pointed me in the right direction. I was—I
1: was heading in the wrong one, I think. Right. Very good. Let's. I'll come back to how you how you found that agent, but I want I want to go back a step because uh, mm-hmm. you your upbringing uh, took you to Soho. Uh, yeah. Swinging Soho, and you know, you maybe you know it was a, it was maybe had some encounters with some nefarious people and uh, and types, oh, yeah. and that that's fed into your writing. So, are you willing to sort of talk about that and how that how that influenced yeah. you?
2: I, I went to Soho when I was really really young, about 15, 16, and met um, this fabulous chap. He, he was um uh, he had black hair, blue eyes. He just, he just looked fabulous, and he was very dangerous. He was very sort of edgy. He was, <laughs> I mean, I was sort of like a minnow swimming about among the sharks in there, you know, the, I went in the windmill theatre and um, right. all the, um, the jazz clubs, all that sort of thing around there. And, yeah, just mixing with these people and, think, and meeting this chap, this fabulous chap, um, and I thought, someday I've got to put that man in a book. And, of course, he is Max Carter. Right, he, he, that's him. That's him to the life. <laughs> He's quite full, yeah, a bit frightening.
1: Did that? Were you aware of that at the time, or was it just sort of years later that you looked back and thought he'd be perfect?
2: I think it was years later. Yeah, I think I just stored him away at the back of my brain, and finally, when I went to write Dirty Game, I thought, "Yeah, this is the time. Max is, is going to be there, and and that's the man that's going to play him."
1: excellent stuff well let's talk about what kept you going because you know you're writing these romance novels they're they're going out there they're they're getting rejection they're not getting picked up what kept you going through all that time what kept because it would be very very easy and understandable for writers to to give up at that point and and move on to something else but what is it that kept you going
2: i think i'm just too obstinate to give up really i think i'm just (laughs) it's just just too bloody minded i think i just I just keep going. I'm relentless. I think it's a failure. I've got a completion complex and I just go and go and go and go. And and Like that poor agent, he said, for goodness sake, go away. Stop pestering me. (laughs) um, It's just me. That's just me, I'm afraid. Too stupid to give up.
1: <laughs> I can relate to that. Um, and being being someone who maybe didn't have many contacts in the books, book or publishing world, did it ever feel alien to you? Did you ever feel like an outsider? How did you How did you find the agent? How did you break in?
2: I well, once I'd written Dirty Game, and I and I wrote it in about three months. So, uh, once, once it sort of got straight in my head where I was going with it. It was very quick and I, I sent it out to six agents. I've, I've never been afraid to send things to agents or publishers and and that's right, I think, because I know a lot of people are terrified of actually sort of making that jump and, and actually yeah. sending it to somebody in the profession. But they're great. They're, they're fine. They're there to help you, really. I yeah. mean, you, you, yeah. without you, there is nothing.
1: Yeah. They, they don't have
2: a job. They don't have a function. It's just you, isn't it? the writer feeding them everything anyway so (laughs) I I sent six copies out and I thought I'm going to get nothing back as usual but never mind I've tried and my partner was saying get a job for goodness sake you know shape up do something with yourself you're wasting your time and one of these agents came back to me and she said don't get your hopes up I might have somebody who's interested but you know don't get panicky about it it's it's fine and she came back over the bank holiday weekend and said i got you a three book deal and it's for a six-figure sum
1: <laughs> 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 okay right <laughs> that,
2: that was the beginning that was dirty game the beginning of my writing career yeah yeah
1: fantastic i have to ask your your, your grant who predicted all this was she still around when this when this came no, to be no sadly she wasn't
2: actually no oh. no it's okay. one of those things isn't it it would have been nice if she had been but
1: no but other members of the family were so you know and what was that again because sometimes when you get people who who get into publishing and book selling and they've got family who have no connection to it how did they take it particularly if you're writing about crime and and villains in Soho were were they excited for you or were they slightly, hmm, what's she writing about? Should she be writing about this stuff? How did, how did the family take it?
2: Yeah, well, I'm, I am a bit of a shocker. I always have been but when it comes to writing. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I, don't, I, don't, I just go for it. I go for it, absolutely. I, I don't get held back by who is my auntie's going to read it or something. No, I just go for it. And it. That's the only way to do it, really. Just don't worry about anybody else reading it. And uh, a few people were surprised and, and shocked and saddened, I suppose, but um, it, it's just me And saying that, you know, that's the deal, that's what I write, and they're, they're going to have to um, accept that, really.
1: Fair enough. I'd like to talk about your, your writing method, because you said you wrote Dirty Game in three months which is yeah. ast- astonishing um what was your uh what was your routine with that were, were you sort of setting yourself targets every day what was your daily routine
2: i just i just really rushed at it i just i was up in the morning five o'clock in the morning in the summer months um just working 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 through to lunchtime pause for a bit edit a bit in the afternoon and then back on it it was, it was constant. It was sort of pouring through so fast that all this this tale of Annie Carter and Max Carter and the, the gangsters and the villains and what was happening around them. Um, it, it just took me over, really. So for those three months, I hardly surfaced at all and then just scuttled off to the uh, post office and put it in the post to all these agents, poor things, and, and off we went.
1: What do you think it was that, unlocked that the fact that you were able as you said it was just sort of flowing through you what was it that was different about this book to everything you'd written before
2: it was I think it's just just the subject matter isn't it I think it's just so different to anything I ever did before and and it just suited me so well it, it just it comes naturally to me I think all this um violence and sex and all this sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> don't seem to have any problem with it at all
1: and you're as i understand you're a pantser you're not you're not plotting ahead you are just going and 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 and, and, as i understand it you you hit a certain point and you know whether or not you've got a book or not Mm. so let us know about tell us about that process
2: well yeah i i really wish i could plot from start to finish i've I've got friends i've got peter lovese he talks to me often and, and he, ju- he just says, Yeah, I plot everything out religiously, start mm-hmm. to finish. Perfect. And then I know where I'm going. If I did that, I'd be bored to death before right. the end of the first chapter. I, I really would. I just go with it and just I start with the character and start with the sort of scenario. They've, they've got some sort of problem, some sort of conflict, always. There's always conflict, isn't there? Yeah. In good books. Yeah. And I just go with it from there and just carry on and on and on until about 40,000 words, and then I think, yeah, I've got it. I can do something with it. And until that point, I'm really not sure.
1: Right. And, so it's
2: never uh, my editor asking me, you know, can, can we have a look at it? Because it's in bits, really. There's, there's nothing there until then.
1: And have you got to 40,000 words and thought, nope, a non-starter, start from scratch?
2: Very rarely. I think i like would maybe once. Mm-hmm. but it's not very nice I tell you it's
1: quite <laughs> it's <not laughs> that work for nothing No good <laughs> but looking at your looking at your you know the novels that you've published you've got dirty game 2008 blackwood uh and bird 2009 2010 two novels you know and oh. then it's like a novel a year of two in 2020 yeah. As- I think, astonishing you know uh Uh, level of work there what was that second novel like what was black widow like and were there were there any lessons you took from your debut dirty game that you carried over to to black widow was there was there anything you learned from going through the editing the copy editing the proofreading all that stuff
2: yeah i I learned that it's much more complex than than the average person in the street realizes I, i mean i did about five drafts in the end on Dirty Game, five drafts on Black Widow. And then you've got the copy editing, the line editing. Your editor will have her input as well. So it's, it's much, much more complex than the, than the man or woman in the street realises. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was quite a learning curve. But, um, yeah, the two books a year, that that was an absolute killer. That was that terrible. Was <laughs> my, my then editor said, I want to get your name out there, quick. And I said, OK, he said, can you do two a year? I said, yeah, sure. Oh, <laughs> of all the things, all the stupid things to say, I thought, like, no. <laughs> but I just about did it. I just about did it and it was OK. But wow. I, I would hate to do it again. I really would.
1: Well, you did You did sort of do it again in, in 2020, but with the knock and the manner. But that, I guess, is that lockdown writing or is that?
2: Uh no, not quite, is it? No, no, that was before that, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it? would yeah. be,
1: wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 So yeah. What, what accounts for that, or were you just on a roll? I
2: thought I was just on a roll, I think. <laughs> just, but I tell you, it does it doesn't get easier. People say, Oh, does it get easier? Because you've mm. written so many then. It doesn't. It gets harder because you're more aware of the pitfalls. You you mm-hmm. you see where you could go wrong in the wrong direction, in the wrong character, whatever. Um so yeah, it 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 gets a little bit trickier as you go on
1: has your you you mentioned they're getting up uh you know at the crack of dawn in the summer you know has that routine evolved over time do you do you uh has it changed uh, at all are you still getting up at the crack of dawn are you still writing first thing in the morning
2: i i will be as the minute the clocks go forward in in march I, i'll be up then working on my new one dead heat mm-hmm. and um yeah, I, I, I just always do that. I always work best in the mornings. So I, I don't really like to do too much in the afternoon because it's just not there, you know. It's sort of, you it's like a download, isn't it? You get it sort of overnight and then you write, you scribble down a few notes and you say, right, I know where I'm going now. And you, and you do that in the morning, but you've got to wait for the next day for the next lot to come through. So
1: so the next down da- i love that the next download so it's like your your mind is ticking away while you're asleep sort of assembling yeah. story ideas and then it delivers it to you and off you go absolutely
2: yeah i think it
1: does <laughs> brilliant i love that it's terrific yeah, it's and, and you mentioned when the clocks go forward uh, mm-hmm. for for summer are you writing in the winter at all or what are you working on you, you still are yeah you're not in there oh yeah yeah
2: it's a year-round thing yeah absolutely yeah, yeah writing in the winter summer whatever even but on not,
1: holiday, <laughs> but you're not you're not you're not getting up at the crack of dawn in the winter then. No,
2: no, no, <laughs> no. I don't think so. <laughs> I do work on holiday though. I to take the manuscript with me and work on holiday as well.
1: So, mm. yeah. Now looking back at when you were writing those romance novels, and romance is something that's become big again. You know, it's mm. these things yeah. wax and wane. It's come full circle. Do you have any sort of desire to go back and and? dip into romance again as it seems to have been your your first love so to speak
2: i i have absolutely no idea what so i I, re- I i just could not imagine going back to that really because i found it hard and dull and just it just wasn't me you know
1: right right okay
2: it Just didn't suit me at all but i kept trying
1: anyway
2: <laughs> 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 I didn't have bothered, but i did <laughs> I was I was just relieved to get on the
1: crime instead. Good, good, good. When we talk to authors who have a, a, a recurring character, as you as you've got with with Annie Carter, how do you keep that character fresh? How do you keep her, you know, um, fresh? Do you get excited each time you come back to her? And, and are, are you uh, are you finding it more difficult or less difficult to come up with with challenges for her?
2: I think it's just um, rolling away in the back of my mind all the time with Annie Carter. It's um, I, I really do love to come back to her, and it, it's nice when you do a standalone and you you just you can just relax and look at a new family and think, oh yeah, well, I can do that, this, and the other with them. But to go back to Annie is something really special, and I think I think I've got another one on the go with her as well. So yeah, I think she'll be back again.
1: Right? Is that when you say? When you say you think, where are these, um, how do how do these first inklings of an idea come about? When you say you think, are you jotting down ideas yet? Or is it still, are you still waiting for a download on that one?
2: I'm, I'm still waiting for the download, really. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come, it will come. But it's a little bit sort of seeping
1: through at the moment, yeah. Brilliant <laughs> stuff. And 15 years, amazing achievement, incredible sales. Uh, you know, readers love you um could you could you ever have imagined this you know looking back and is there anything you go back to 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 young Jessie when she's starting out is there any any advice that you'd you'd give her, and, ahead of the publication of uh of a dirty game
2: i i think it's be obstinate be stubborn be relentless just push at everything you just go go at it don't don't take no for an answer i think that's good advice for any writer or would-be writer just go for it you know don't be afraid of publishers agents they're they're only human beings they're fine um just you know push ahead go for it don't don't hang back because you'll never know will you if you don't try if you don't go for it you won't know yeah
1: i love it that's terrific advice um what's coming next from you jesse i I know you mentioned you know maybe uh, a new annie carter story but uh what's next on the agenda
2: um i'm writing a standalone at the moment dead heat and that's about there's a horrible murder and oh a new family and a load of villains so yeah I'm i'm quite enjoying that one at the moment that's good
1: excellent stuff Well, Jesse, huge congratulations, uh, not only on um, Never Go Back, but on 15 amazing years of uh, delighting readers. And here's to many, many more. And uh, thanks for speaking to us today and hope to speak to you again really soon. Yeah, it's
2: been a real pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, I wish I had a grand like Jessie, Mark.
0: <laughs> she could have saved me so much grief in my life. Imagine we all had Jessie's It'd be like, this is what you're going to do, love. And you just, <laughs> but isn't, I, I, I mean, I, you know that I'm, I mean, everyone who knows me on this podcast knows that I love all this stuff and, you know, I. but I, I do wonder, I do wonder how much of, when you get someone who believes in something, it's like when you get that teacher who believes in you and that's the thing, how much of, like Jessie's grand. She sounds like an amazing character. Like Absolutely, how much yeah. of what she said actually, you know, became that self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, I mean, she she might've seen it in the tea leaves or whatever it was that she was, you know, foreseeing, but I'm, I'm just
1: wondering how much of that helped her get to the success that she's had today. It's quite incredible. Absolutely. I mean, no matter what you believe, if it's a supernatural thing or if it's just that thing of, we've spoken about so many times where someone taps you on the shoulder and says, you're good at this keep going and that is all a writer needs sometimes because we we live in doubt so much of the time is this any good should i be doing this am i completely wasting my time what should i be doing with my life and if someone says to you no you're you're good at this stick with it kid you know keep keep at it then and and you know you see that she wrote 10 romantic novels that you know she said no one wanted they but they're all near misses you know which in some ways is worse you know nearly getting there rather than actually but you know, she, she learned from that. She kept going and no doubt had her, her, her grand's voice, you know, speaking to her with, with every rejection or whatever. That's what she, you know, picked herself up, dusted herself off and off she went again. Well, we've talked so many times about this idea of, and I think the word,
0: the word of the week is relentlessness. I mean, to keep mm. on going and it's proof, proof, is uh, Jesse is yet another, and we could, we could, we could make a, Torture now, couldn't we have all these artists, <laughs> all of these writers that we've met who have these stories of, of rejection, of finding their way, finding their voice, keeping on going and then bang, something happens. And she is, she is the, the, the epitome of relentlessness. She kept on going. Mm. But here's the other thing that I love about listening to Jesse and, and, and how she, how her whole approach to life is. She has this sense of almost no fear. I mean, she mm. talked about never giving up. She always used, she used yeah. a lot of words like, don't be afraid of sending your manuscript. Don't be afraid. Like it wasn't like, you know, it, it, but she's really hitting the nail on the head. The reason why people don't do it is they're scared of getting rejection yeah. or they're scared that it won't be good enough, or they're scared that they're not ready to send it. But her thing is like, it doesn't matter. Just don't be afraid. And then she said this brilliant mm. line, without you, there's nothing. We're, the agents don't have a job without the writers. Yeah. We do it. We're part of the whole picture here. And without us as writers, publishers wouldn't exist. So
1: I love that attitude where she's like, all power to writers, go for it learning to value yourself and what you do is one of the most important things you can do as a writer. And we are recording this on the day that the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, the Screenwriters Guild in America, has just said we're on strike mm. because we are being undervalued, you know. So it's uh, learning learning to value yourself and what you do, that it has an importance, that it has a value. is uh, Because we are – part of what we do – this this act of creation, this is where I get really pompous, this, this, <laughs> this, this thing that we do, it's a massive ego trip, but it's also very humiliating as well. You're balancing yeah. two kind of opposites there. You are saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create a whole world and put people in it and I'm going to put them through hell. I'm going to be like a demigod and I'm going to play with their lives and toy with them and wrap it all up in a bow at the end without an ending. Uh, so yeah, watch me. And But you've also got to uh, expose your kind of inner self and all your fears and you you're committing it to paper in a way that is pretty blooming permanent and then putting out in public so people can point at it and go oh what a load of rubbish you know so it's it's uh it's such a weird 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 thing that we do that we we have this massive egotistical declaration that we're going to put stories out there in the world uh and and then kind of put our poor mental health completely through the ringer at the same time but Jessie, i mean like say f- talk about fearless that is a that is a woman i've no doubt if there was like a fire she'd be the first one to roll her sleeves up and running to the, Run building, to the building and rescue yeah. people you know yeah. she she's not scared of anything that woman yeah and i think i think for some people for some people
0: the kind of journey isn't so much you know fulfilling some ego need it's it's for some people i think it's more of the personal challenge I think a lot of people going through their first novel I think a lot of it's about a personal challenge of proving to themselves that they can do it and that can give people I think a lot of writers a lot of writers I meet are so humble in the sense that they they don't believe in themselves and 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 they and unfortunately they become so humble that they 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 hide their light under a bushel and yeah. they they they, yeah. they don't ever put their stuff out there because they think well I'll never be good at and and it's it's those people I want to reach out today and say you know you you just never know you've got to go out there if you have if, if you're able to break through and have have Jesse's attitude towards things and and what's the worst that can happen you know just yeah. go for it and and allow yourself to put, put yourself out there so that other people can validate how good you are. Because I think a lot of people don't believe in themselves, and I think that's a, it's, mm. it's an, it is a pandemic in the world. It's a crisis in writing specifically. It just sometimes people are, they're on a journey of discovery, and I think the once they've completed that first novel and the confidence starts to build, then then it builds and grows,
1: and the momentum starts. But that first novel can be such a challenge. That that question: What's the worst that can happen? Let's answer that now. Because mm. it's happened, I think every published writer, the worst has happened to them, which yeah. is the worst that can happen is that your book goes out there and it doesn't sell, uh, or that no one reads it, or that you get stinky reviews, uh, and it's a bit humiliating. That's it. That yeah. is the worst that can happen. And, and, and you for, know that, what? for that book as
0: well, let's not talk about a career. That's for that one book. One book. One book. Right. Book. One yeah. book. Yeah. That's it. I mean, That's- it's a
1: big deal, but it's still one yeah. book. It's not your life and your writing. And it's, it's happened to a lot of writers and uh, it will continue to happen to a lot of writers. But you're right. That is one book. So what you do, you learn from that experience, you dust yourself off, you figure it out, you move on. Uh, we've got someone coming on in a couple of weeks who, you know, they self-published uh, a novel and it didn't do anything and they could have given up there and then. You know, Mm. but they didn't, they picked themselves up. They kept going. They did something new and they're a success now.
0: Here's a question for everyone out there. Regardless of how successful your first book, if you finished a book and you put it out there, regardless of how successful it was, would you ever say that you regretted writing that book? Even if you've only sold one copy, I bet you, there are very few people in the world that would turn around and say, you know what? The The book didn't fly off the shelves. It was a complete waste of time. I wish I'd never written it. Because I think most people, the act of writing a book is a huge reward in itself. And and to just take that away from, I mean, selling the books in some way is great, brilliant. It's a bonus. It encourages you to keep going and and, and, and keep, keep building and building. But I've never heard anyone ever say to me, oh, I spent six months or a year or two years writing this book. It was a complete waste of time. Because everyone knows that they're learning all the way through that process. And so that's what we're dealing with here we're dealing with a pursuit of of growth of a pursuit of like how far can you push yourself what are you capable of as human being what can you create and you you always end up in the positive because all the stuff that you've learned through that journey there are so few ways you can do that in life aren't there mark i mean when we sit back and look at like i mean yes i think another another great example would be an athlete, somebody wants to run a marathon, someone who wants to just run 5k, you know, they're running it because they get the benefit of getting healthy and fitter doing it. But it's the proving to themselves that they can do it. People don't finish a marathon and go, well, that was a complete waste of time. Why did I, <laughs> why did I bother training for that? It's like, what, I just ran around London for 26 miles. What was the point? No one ever says that. They come with massive smiles. Like you just look at the videos, the book openings, like the beaming smiling, like I've got yeah. my, they haven't put it even out into the market yet. And it's just, I've got it. I've got that. But it's it's about the journey. And then the fact that we even get to play in this space of trying to sell it, build a career, that's just like that's like funfair, isn't it? That's yeah. like the magic beyond, you know, that's that's your your whatever. I mean, anyway, we could talk about this forever. But the point is, it's about the journey. And and Jesse's proof of that, you know, and but when you have the right attitude with the journey, when you can break through and you can grow through your you know the things that hold you back. Then you can be like Jesse. Then you can sell six million
1: books because that's how it works.
0: It's how it works.
1: So let's let's overshare. So um, what's what's your worst experience? I'll, I'll I'll give you a minute to think about it. What's your worst experience? Say as a musician, uh, or as an artist, or a creative of, of any kind. That what's the worst that's happened to you? Because for me, I I did a play uh, where one person showed up and there were four of us in the cast. And that was pretty low because you've gone through all this effort. You've been rehearsing for weeks. You've been going around to rehearsal halls and you're writing it and people working the lighting and the sound. And then one person showed up. So that that was a pretty humiliating one. Um, Or there was the one where I, I was in a play. Uh, all of these are plays. <laughs> I was in a play where we had a band in the play and someone sat in the front row with their fingers in their ears. That was that was a pretty low moment. <laughs> or my favourite one was when Claire and I did a production of uh, Frankie and Johnny in the Claire de Lune, which became the movie Frankie and Johnny. Now, uh, the play is a bit different to the film in that it, it opens with the couple having sex, right? So they're in bed, they're under the sheets, they're having sex. Uh, and again, for that night, one person showed up so it, it was, was recent- my mum. oh was no my sorry mum. I didn't mean that oh my gosh <laughs> Wait a punchline. Worse. Yeah, always wait for the punchline. Oh, that's awful. Sorry, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the play finished, Mum sat there and clapped. I said, You could at least give us a standing ovation. So-
0: <laughs> Did she chuck a condom on stage? That's what I know. <laughs> that would have been pretty. That would have been that would have been a mum thing to have done. Yeah. Be careful, row.
1: Mark. Be careful. I oh, hope you've got protection, son. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> Oh so yeah. So absolutely yeah, uh, have,
1: Having been through that, nothing, nothing can else be compares. Worse I nothing know. Can be worse In fact, that. actually that's
0: why we need to have those moments, because you've you've got to have that moment where you say those those beautiful words. Do you know what though? Could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse. <laughs>
1: let I've me just tell thought, you let me tell you I've about the time. Another, yeah, yeah. I've just thought of another one actually. Cool. On, it was the it was the it was the London Oh God, this is I I can't remember what I'm gonna say. This, this was the London film. Uh, festival premiere of Robot Overlords and it went down really really well that, you know full house lots of applause lots of kids in the audience really enjoyed it there's me the cast and crew we're standing up on stage and they, they had a Q&A afterwards any questions and the first person to put their hand up was a person that I didn't know very well but he knew my aunt, and he had worked in film and he worked with people like David Lean and he was this crusty old fella and he put his hand up and you know how you have a little moment where you just think this is this isn't going to go well. I don't know. I don't know why, but this just you know your spine turns to jelly. And as I saw the person with the microphone going over, I thought, no, no, don't, 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 don't give it to him. Don't give it to him. Don't. Give it. But they gave it to him. And his first question was. I can't understand why the BFI gave all this money for this rubbish. And he started <gasps> laying into the film no. it was the first question. And I'm standing next to Tama Hassan, who's oh. a handy fella, you know. Tamer's a big fella, and he looked like he was going to kill him. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And I'd invited him, so um, yeah. I and I spoke to him afterwards. I said, well, "What were you thinking?" I said, "Oh, I've done that before." I said, "Just a bit of lighthearted fun." said, No, I said, no. I, said I, "I could kill you." So anyway, <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh, that was a pretty humiliating. Oh, experience as well but, um yeah worst so, yeah. one for me Mark go on then
0: okay this is I'm going to have to mention the G word Um <laughs> <laughs> hey! for those words. have it been it a week uh, yeah, actually do you know, what? Do know what it's
1: been a while it, no it's been it got name while. dropped
0: it, Glastonbury got named at the unwelcome spoiler and I didn't actually say it D- they even referenced <laughs> it wasn't me it was Honest guy. no ongoing joke folks if you're new to the podcast um, you have to listen back but the very first time we played Glastonbury, as you, as everyone well knows, Glastonbury does tend to rain a little bit. Just the and chance, yes. the night before we got there, Thursday, we were, we were performing Friday evening. We had a really prime slot, and the heavens mm-hmm. opened, and they didn't stop for like it'd been raining all week. Coldplay couldn't get their stuff to the the, the pyramid stage. They were literally they're articulating. Oh, stuff. Stuck. <laughs> they had to literally they they tractors. <laughs> And they were, un- I'm not kidding you, they were unloading this articulated lorry with all their set on it, all the stage and everything. And they were they were bringing it to the stage on tractors because that's the only thing that they could get through the wow. mud. Now, for anyone who's read Back to Reality, uh, mm. there is a scene, to, uh, late, when we get to Glastonbury in the book, uh, spoiler alert, there's a whole scene around porter cabins, port porta porta potties or port-a-loos. That was actually based on a real life experience that I had because the porta <laughs> potties actually started overflowing. So oh when we God. were going from when we were crossing the divide as it became, it wasn't there before, but overnight, but the divide happened, there was a river. It was the it was the year Banksy was actually there and he I don't know if you remember that he put like little shark fins in yeah. the water. Like, (laughs) it was so much water. But anyway, we're crossing the divide. What the divide actually was, was it was a mixture of the rain and all of the sewage that had come out of all that. It was utterly disgusting. Anyway, to cut a long story short, overnight, the place where we were playing collected water on top of the roof and it split. And all of the water came down on all of the sound system. And there was water everywhere. Yeah. And... We got wind at about 11 o'clock that morning that they were having to come in with, with huge, huge trucks to suck the water out because it was all waterlogged and the equipment having to replace equipment. And it didn't stop raining as well. So our first ever gig at Glastonbury was actually cancelled. Oh We got all the way there. But it, uh, good, long, long story short, we got to play it three times in the year. And, and partly because we got cancelled <laughs> the first time, we then got to play it the next year. But nice. it was a nightmare, absolute mm. nightmare. I mean, worst thing ever, like biggest moment of your music career. And, yeah, and dreams kind of dashed. Rain, <laughs> yeah, well, I can imagine. <laughs> rain oh, cancel no, play. Man. But anyway, so yeah. So it happens. <laughs> wow. But you're right. I mean, every single time after that, it's like, well, what could be worse? You know, we, we, and they always say when you have a really low point in any, anything that you do in life... That becomes your reference point in the future. If you ever have another low point, you always look back and say, I managed to get out of that one so I yeah. can get out of this one. And it gives you the yeah, strength yeah, yeah. to keep going. And that, folks, is the blessing in all of it. Like, it's the fact that you got that reference point. You think, wow, you know, I did that. Um, and I think that's a really, really, you know, it's so important for writers because a lot, a lot of us writers are very fragile people. We're very fragile. Yeah, indeed you know, being, so our emotions get hurt and we're putting ourselves out there. So yeah. brilliant stuff. But well, listen, folks, uh, we've got a lot more to talk about, but we're going to be doing an extended for everyone who's supporting the podcast on Patreon or Academics. So we're going to talk about people that you meet in life that years later become characters in your book. We're also going to talk about how much of yourself do you put, your, put, put of yourself in your book, especially when you're looking at being the protagonist, for example. And we're also going to look into how, How this state of flow can happen and i'm sure everyone listening to this right now has experienced it on some degree or other so when you get in that flow what should you do when when your book just starts to flow and it all starts to come out beautifully and we're also going to deep dive a bit on this idea of the download because it's something that mark and i have also (laughs) experienced and i'm wondering if you've experienced in your life as well so if you have pop along to the extended edition you can do it by going to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and not only will be helping the podcast, but you'll be getting a ton of extra goodies from Mark and I. So folks, thank you for joining us in the extended. If you did, if you missed it, you missed a whole load of really interesting discussions. We went all around the world. We deep. deep. Yeah. and Deep. Uh, yeah. Deep the, the, the extended additionals yeah. are, are, are really deep, aren't they? Really deep. Mm. I love it. I love it. Yeah. But uh, talking of celebrations and wins, Mark, there's a lot going on with the 200
1: words a day in May this, this week. Loads of people. Uh, the hashtag... T- 200 words a day and we're challenging people to do 200 words a day just in the month of May. Uh, First one is Alyssa Eakins. 303 words on this first day of the May 200 words a day challenge. I'm terrible about writing every single day so this will be fun. Bring it on. Bring it on indeed, Alyssa. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, Good luck to you. Inkborn Blade. Day one of 200 words a day in May and day 455 of my streak. Wow. (laughs) So uh, so 50 minutes equals 500 words of edits on my short story appearing later this month. That's all I can tell you for now. And then we've got Phil Oddy as well, wrote 363 words today. in which nothing really happened, but you could cut the tension with a knife. So folks, if you want to write every day in May, join these good people, uh, get that writing habit. So all we're asking. It's just 200. This isn't, you know, like other challenges where you're having to write thousands of words every day. Just 200 words, 200 words a day hashtag right every day in may hashtag 200 words a day go for it go for it go for it
0: Brilliant. yeah and actually if you want to sign up very simple go to 200 wordchallengecom
1: easy peasy lemon squeezy and if you want to get in touch with us on social media we're facebook bestseller experiment twitter and instagram is at bestseller xp or uh, drop us a line directly if you go to bestsellerexperiment.com, there's a contact tab there drop us an email Excellent stuff. Uh, join the newsletter, folks. If you want to get a weekly newsletter
0: about our latest episode, everything we've learned and everything you can learn from it, um, go along to bestsellerexperiment.com, click on the newsletter tab, pop your email address in there and we'll make sure to include you in the list. And like Mark said earlier, if you're interested in joining the Academy, pop along. We're taking on a few new people. So pop along uh, this week onto the experiment. Dot com. Mr. Stay, I hope you have a great, great week. Mm, yeah, it should be fun. See your Margate folks if you're around. Uh, yeah. For pop along yeah, and it chat. It's always fun meeting meeting listeners to the podcast. I feel quite lonely out here in Canada. I need to do something over in the West Coast maybe at some point. Yeah. But um I love hearing all the stories of, of all the people that meet up and um <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We absolutely appreciate you and for breaking through with your writing this week, folks. What is the one thing you're going to do to help you break through on the biggest challenge you've got with your writing? (laughs) So on that note, it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye!